we are in a, um, the, the fourth, of, uh, fourth uh, week of a sermon series we're doing here the last week about who our church is, who CVBC is. We want to start off the new year by looking at what the Lord has in store for our church, what the purpose of all of this is. And if you've missed those, you can look at those online, but we're going to be looking at the last priority we have as a church. We know overall our goal is to love God and to love people. That's a big category, a big calling. So the way that we fulfill loving God and loving people are by executing these three things you see on the screen. We at CBBC are going to worship God, we're going to belong to one another, and today we are going to live out the gospel. Okay, next week we're going to jump back into our our long-term study of 1 Corinthians, but we want to finish by looking at what it means to live out the gospel. We love God, we love people, and one of the ways we do that is by living out this gospel. Now, these, these things, I know it just looks like they're, they're words up on a screen, they're phrases, it sounds like branding, it's not that. It's a way for us to group all of the Bible and what God has called our local church to be and to do. So you're going to hear these terms a lot more. We hope you will use these terms. We're going to figure out, hey, how do our ministries fit in these categories? And if they don't, maybe we're going to make some changes. But also for you as an individual, These are kind of a litmus test for you. Are you worshiping God in your life? Are you praying? Are you reading the Bible? Are you belonging to each other here in the church? Do you have actual Christian friendships that revolve around Jesus? And today we're going to look at living out the gospel. Do you live out your faith Sunday to Saturday, wherever you go? And a lot of you, um, you have team jerseys you wear, you have company logos for your work. Maybe even you buy a new item at the grocery store and you quickly start telling your friends, hey, I bought this at Walmart, I love it, go buy it, make it for your family. We become spokesmen, we become ambassadors for a lot of things in our life. And the Bible calls us to be the biggest spokesman we can be for the gospel. So we're going to talk about this today, of how as a church and how as individuals we can live out the gospel publicly. So if you have a Bible, please open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's on page 835 of that Black Pew Bible in front of you or below you. And once you find Matthew 28, verse 16, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask, us, we ask you to give us life according to your word this morning. Drive it deep into our hearts that it may dwell in us richly. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. This, uh, this passage, these last words in Matthew's gospel is famously called the Great Commission. Some of the last recorded words before Jesus ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And this passage is the ending of the entire book of Matthew. Right? It comes after miracles after miracles, lots of 
teaching and sermons after Jesus trained these 12 disciples for three years. This is the ending of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And yet from here on out in the rest of the New Testament, these verses are lived out. This is what you and I are called to do with our lives, with our time, with our energy, with our money. This is the calling that we have. The church is called to live out the gospel, to make disciples, to teach, to show everyone else inside the church and outside the church that Jesus is king. This is not just for the 12 disciples here in this text. This is for all disciples. And for the last 2,000 years, this is what churches and Christians have been living out, the great commission. So here's the main point for us, and then we'll jump into a few points of the sermon. The main point of what this text is saying and what the sermon is saying is that King Jesus has commanded us to live out the gospel and is with us as we do. King Jesus has commanded us to live out the gospel, and he is with us as we do. I mean, think about these 12 disciples. If you know anything about Christianity, you know there's all these disciples like Peter and James and John, and they were called out by Jesus, and they followed him for three years. They saw their master Jesus. He was crucified on a cross, and then he was resurrected and walked out of the tomb, and now he appears before them with these huge, big, these climactic words, and he says, go and make disciples. My last words to you, go and make disciples. Teach them, baptize them, live out the gospel I've been training you in for three years. So we're going to look at this in three points this morning. Because this is also the call that God has on your life if you have bowed your knee to King Jesus. The first point today is to look at our King's authority. Our King's authority. In verse 16... We read that these 11 disciples are called to a a mountain in Galilee to meet Jesus. Often God picked mountains to be places where God revealed these big messages. Like, for example, think of the Ten Commandments back in Exodus happens on a mountain. Or even in the book of Matthew that we're looking at right now, the Sermon on the Mount, these big preaching and teaching moments happen in Matthew 5-7 on a mountain. God often speaks with authority. He speaks uniquely on a mountain to call them to worship him. And this mountain, it mentions it in Galilee. To us, Galilee doesn't mean much, but Galilee is a place for the Gentiles and not a place for the Jews. So God is saying here, come meet me, Jesus, your your king, in a place outside of Israel. Why? Because God is about to launch these disciples, not just to stay in Israel, but to launch them into the world with this message, that God is not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the entire world. All people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, he's not just king of the Jews, but Jesus is king of the Gentiles to king of the world. And on this mountain, Jesus meets these 11 disciples with authority. See that in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So before he gives them the mission, before he gives them their marching orders and says, I'm sending you out, he says, remember something. I am speaking to you with all authority. This is not just a suggestion from a friend. This is not just a tip from a life coach. He's about to command his disciples as the king of heaven and earth. The the king who's going to have every creature one day bow down before him. 
all heaven, all earth is under his authority, right? There's not one square foot on this planet or in heaven that Jesus is not over. Maybe you've watched some um, crime shows or things and you've, you get to a point in the show where a police officer says, I'm sorry, man, but this is not my jurisdiction. I got to call the FBI. I, I, don't have, I don't have kind of jurisdiction in this area. This is not my territory. I can't come here. Jesus has jurisdiction everywhere. And in the book of Matthew, he's just proved that he has authority and jurisdiction over every single creature in the world. Why? Because he just did something that no one else has ever done. He resurrected from the dead. Romans 6, 9 tells us that death has no authority or dominion over Jesus. Jesus is so powerful, Jesus is so authoritative, that even the most inevitable thing that you and I cannot escape death has no power over him. Death can't defeat Jesus. Death has no bearing on Jesus. So Jesus has even jurisdiction over that. So he has jurisdiction over the entire world. The resurrection is the crowning point of the king. He has the authority. So Jesus gathers them as the resurrected king, and he says, what I'm about to tell you I'm telling you as your king. These are not suggestions or tips. These are commands from the resurrected king. The disciples here see Jesus' authority on full display. Right? He healed the paralyzed. He took a couple of loaves and made it into dinner. He walked on water. And they saw his authority over everything. And now he says, with that same authority, what I'm about to tell you, you need to listen to. Now, we are these disciples. Now, we didn't maybe see these miracles, but we are the same disciples who were saved from eternal death. Christ has loosed the pangs of death that were surrounding us, that were bringing us to hell, and he rescued us by his authority over death and resurrection. So you and I, whether we've seen the miracles of walking on water or not, it doesn't matter. We have seen the, uh, the miracle of being saved from hell, and now our king who saved us is speaking to us as our master, and we've bowed our knee to him. So whatever he's about to say, I want us to kind of stop and pause and think, will we submit to the king? Before we look at these marching orders, let us pause and consider, do we view Jesus as our authority? We, we all understand, right, there are experts in certain fields that we listen to at times. Like, for example, the medical field. Your doctor is an expert, and he might say, hey, you really need to change your diet for you to feel better. And are, in that moment, are you going to say, I'm going to change my diet, I'm going to give up this food or give up these sweets? No, you kind of are left back with the authority. The expert doctor says, do this, but you still have your freedom to determine, am I going to do it or not? Right? When you leave here today, there's these signs, I don't know if you've seen them, with a number on them that say speed limit. And the way that we drive reveals how good we are at submitting to authority. Or how bad we are at submitting to authority. This is one of these moments. Christ is about to say, I'm going to send you out. What's our response to the authority of the king? Because this is not going to be optional. True Christianity, true Christian preaching, true evangelism of the gospel must clearly state and, and show that becoming a Christian is about submitting to Jesus as king. And the good news for us is that Jesus never abuses his leadership. 
He never lets us down. He never makes an unwise decision. Jesus is not like any other leader that we have followed. He is perfect and he is gracious and he is wise. But Christianity is submitting to the marching orders of Jesus. So it's not like following the speed limit where you say, sometimes I'm going to do that, but if I'm in a hurry, I'm going to break it. Jesus says, I have all authority on heaven and earth. Do as I say, and trust me, it is for your good. So what's our posture to this King Jesus? Because we will not apply the next verse if we reject Jesus. So here's the King gathering his disciples on this mountain. And he gathers us as a church like this right here and tells us what we are called to do. Now, what are we called to do? What is this? What's our King's command? Point two, our King's command. What has he given us to do? Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The primary verb here, the primary command of this text is found in verse 19. It's to make disciples. Oftentimes we read this at times and and think, oh, the main word here is to go, go, you know, make, go with the gospel. And that's important. All words are important, but the main word here, if you look at the, the verb and the semantics of it, the main verb here is to make disciples. Like leave this mountain and wherever you find yourself at work, at home, uh, in Israel, in Asia, downtown, wherever you go, your job is to make disciples. Go here means wherever you find yourself. And he says a few ways to make disciples, a few actions involved is baptizing and teaching, living out the gospel. Jesus is saying, just how I discipled you 11 men, you are now to disciple others in this world. A Christian disciple is just a little Christ, a little Christ. Think about if you have kids, your kids are little versions of you. You teach them, you model things for them, you become their primary teacher. Even if you don't homeschool, you are the primary teacher. These 11 disciples watched Jesus, heard Jesus, observed Jesus, they're little Christ's disciples of Jesus. And now Jesus says, go and make disciples, as in go and duplicate yourself to those you meet and those you care for. Go and duplicate yourself. Teach them the ways of Jesus. Baptize them in the name of God. Live out your Christian life before them so they can grasp it and do the same. And is there anything more loving of people than sharing the love of God with them? That's what evangelism is. That's what living out the gospel is. It is loving God so much that we love others by telling them of the love of God. Loving God so much that we love others by telling them the love of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. You, you, you and I are Christians right now because 2,000 years ago, these 11 men said yes to the king. They heard this command, this great commission to go out and make disciples, to live out the gospel, and they did this faithfully. Some in huge, eventful ways and others in ways that we'll never know, but they made disciples who then made disciples, who made disciples all the way down. And here we are in 2023 hearing the gospel Because people before us heard the gospel and did something with it. For 2,000 years, we've gotten to this point. Jesus knows what he's doing. 
And Jesus' call is for Christians to make disciples. In other words, to take the gospel of Jesus to people and teach them how to live it out in their daily life. You see, Jesus did not say, come into a town, spread the gospel, and get out as quickly as you can. That's not what he said. Right? Sometimes we view evangelism as just saying, I want to get as many people to hear the gospel and I'm going to move on. Jesus says, no, it's not about just saying a prayer or walking in an aisle, though those can be good things. No, this is about getting people to hear the gospel and living it out before them and teaching them how to apply the Christian life. So what happened is that these 11 verses did go and make disciples. Some of them we know, like James, for example, went to Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, and he stayed there for decades. One of these early apostles. Others like Peter had a little bit more of an eventful life. But wherever they went, they proclaimed the gospel and discipled people to be like Christ. Think about Jesus. He called these disciples to follow him. They said yes, but he didn't just stop there, right? When he called Peter out from fishing, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't just convert him and move on. He brought him along for three years. He called them to salvation and he discipled them. He showed them how to live. Some of you at work, you've had to train someone how to do a job. You don't just say, here's your computer, figure it out. No, you walk them through what to do. Some of you have have coached your kids' soccer or baseball team, right? You get them the team jerseys, the hats, you take the team photo, but then do you walk away? No, you teach them how to be a better soccer player or a better baseball player or how to at least have not pick up dandelions every time or something. You try to get them to do something to get more advanced by the end of the year. Making disciples, living out the gospel, is sharing about Jesus and teaching people how to live it out. And it's not just to those we're comfortable with. It's to everyone. This says we are called to make disciples of all nations, which to the Jewish disciples would have been shocking because they've been primarily raised to only interact with those in their own nation, in their own family tribe. They thought Israelites were better than everybody else, but Here Jesus is saying, no, you go out into everybody because everyone is worthy of seeing the gospel on display. All nations, all tribes, all tongues are to be discipled. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but this is why we here at Chippewa Valley Bible Church so honor and so love our missionaries. Because these are people who take this command from Jesus, leave their hometown, leave their comfort, and they go to another place and bring the gospel there. They don't just pass out a gospel track from the airplane, open up the window and drop it out and leave. No, they get there and they make disciples. But again, this passage is not just for those vocational missionaries who want to fly on a plane and go somewhere else. This is for all us who live in Chippewa. Maybe you're not planning on heading to another continent, but this is your calling too. You have people in your life who God has given to you, he's entrusted them to you for you to share and live out the gospel before them. You have neighbors and you have family members. You have coworkers and employees. You have baristas and waiters. Will you go into the place that God has placed you and will you think, how can I live out the gospel before them? That neighbor or that family member is not just a neighbor or a family member. That neighbor and family member is someone that God has put in your life for you to live out the gospel before. 
The king has sent you to be his gospel witness. Will you take the authority of Jesus seriously enough to actually do it and see what happens? So the command of Jesus to anyone who calls himself a disciple is to live out the gospel, whoever you are, whatever you look like, wherever you go. And this is true of our church right now. All of us made up together are called to live out the gospel. So if you want to obey King Jesus here, if this is on your heart, I want to live out the gospel faithfully. I'm going to give you three things you must do to live out the gospel. Okay, now for clarity's sake, for those of you who are organized note takers, we're still under point two, okay? It's one of those preaching math things. We have three points, but point two has three points. So we kind of cheat the system a bit. But if you want to live out the gospel, three things for you to do. Number one, be able to recite the gospel. Be able to recite the gospel. If we're going to make disciples of Christ, we must as a disciples, understand and be able to verbally articulate the gospel of Jesus. All right, we call this the gospel, the good news. What is good news? If you can't tell people good news, it's not really good news. If you are a member of our church, you have at one time at least recited the gospel uh, to the elders in your elder interview. Or in our membership interviews, we ask you, what is the gospel? How does someone become saved? And you explain the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In order for someone to find this salvation, they must, in the words of Paul in Romans, hear the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And God may use you to speak the words of Christ to someone and they come to salvation, right? We see in the book of Acts, Paul would travel from town to town. He would stay there and it describes him talking about the importance of the death of Christ. He would reason from the scriptures why Jesus had to die. He didn't come in teaching good life principles or tips for a healthy life, though those things aren't bad, but he came in teaching and preaching, making sure the clearest thing from his mouth was the good news of Jesus. So you, Christian, let's say you walk out of here today and someone stops you in the parking lot and says, what is the gospel? How comfortable do you feel giving an accurate answer? Now, you're not called to walk through every page of of the Bible or every facet or every doctrine, but you are called to clearly present the good news of Jesus. Um, I, I have been, I've been taught, and I like to think about the gospel in my head with four words in mind. If I want to make sure I'm being accurate with the gospel, there's four words that kind of trigger what the gospel is for me. It's God, man, redemption, and response. God, man, redemption, response, right? Four things to hit on that communicate the gospel. Because the gospel is not God has a plan for your life. The gospel is not God will fulfill you and give you joy. Again, two true statements, but not the good news of Jesus. Those are results. God, man, redemption, response. There's a God, number one, there's a God who created all things, who's over all things. He's perfect and full of power and grace and love. And he made everything we see and he made us in his image. And he made us to live with him and dwell with him and be in his kingdom. To live under his authority where we take our marching orders from him joyfully and know that he alone satisfies us. But man, number two. Man, we were created and yet we disobeyed our king. 
We thought we knew what was best. So we said no to the commands of God, no to the character of God. We rejected the creator. And now we are separated from our God who made us. And we are separated from him spiritually. But this God loves us so much that he sent his son to redeem us. The third word. Jesus entered into our sinful world to be our substitute, to take sin on himself and died with it. Taking the punishment that you and I deserved for rejecting the creator God. He died so that we don't have to die eternally in hell. And now only in Jesus, because God became man, only in Jesus can we be redeemed or saved or delivered. He died. He resurrected in our place. And now we can go to God and be considered right with him. So the only proper response, the only way for you to receive the gospel is to believe that Jesus died for you in your sins and believe that he resurrected for you. Only in Jesus can you be saved. That's the gospel. What I want to encourage you with is that you don't need to work on spicing it up. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't forget all social cues. Okay? You are a real person. Read the room, okay? Be a normal human being, okay? It's important. But you don't have to bring the bells and the whistles and try to figure out how every angle you can apply this thing. What we have a major problem and we have a major solution. The major problem is our sin and the major solution is Jesus. That's what we got to bring. The gospel has not changed in 2,000 years and here you are. You don't have to reinvent the wheel or come up with a quick solution. So here at CVBC, we, we try to preach the gospel in every sermon. Sometimes our, our texts make that very clear. Sometimes we're preaching on creation or we're talking about money or preaching about um, uh, decision-making and yet every sermon we preach the gospel because that's the foundation of the Bible and our faith. So when you listen to sermons here, listen for the gospel. Make sure that we are preaching it from up here, not just a facet or a result of the gospel, but the actual gospel. But for you to make disciples, you must be able to recite this gospel. This might sound kind of silly, but... um, Maybe instead of listening to that, you know, that one song on the way to work or that talk radio, maybe you spend time saying aloud the gospel. As you know, as I do my hair every morning, um, um, maybe I say the gospel. I recite it, right? Not to make it some rote thing that becomes just a speech without passion and feeling, but can you comprehensively say the gospel in a pretty quick way? And the more that you say it, the more it goes into your soul and you believe the very gospel that's already saved you. So, still under point two, but if, if you want to take these marching orders and actually go and live out the gospel, first you must recite the gospel. Number two, you must actually share the gospel through words. We call this personal evangelism. Making disciples, okay, it's more than just sharing the gospel one time, but it's not less than that. Christ, our King, has sent us out to be messengers We take his word and we are simply messengers of the gospel. So in your relationships, in your encounters, there'll be times where the faithful thing to do in that moment is to use your mouth and your words and share the gospel. In verse 20 here of the Great Commission passage, it says part of making disciples is teaching. And the first teaching you do to someone is teaching them the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But this is the hard part, is it not? 
Because in a moment with a friend or a coworker, to cross that bridge into Christianity might feel a little awkward for us. You might think, I, I might lose a friend over this. I might alienate a family member. And in that moment, you have to choose, am I going to maybe fear man or am I going to obey God? And this is the point where we have to be reminded of the authority of Jesus here from point one. I pray and hope that you don't lose a relationship over the gospel. It's possible, it is. I pray it doesn't happen, but by sharing the gospel in the right way, with the right tone, with the right lifestyle, that's actually loving the person. Now, generally, the most effective way for you to share the gospel with people is to do it in the relationships you already have. At times in your life, you're going to run into someone at Quick Trip or at the coffee shop, and it's a great opportunity. Take that. But the most effective way that you're going to have to share the gospel and see people come to faith is by taking inventory of the relationships you have right now. And you start pursuing them with the gospel. Because you know your friend's problems and worries, how their personality is, how can you bring them to Jesus, right? You know your family member's circumstances, how can you bring Jesus to them? Eventually, you're going to have to cross that bridge and just do it. There's a few things that, that maybe... Um, would be good for you to maybe pick up on. Uh, one of the things I, I like to do is uh, I have a note card every morning that I look at and pray through with people in my life who I actually have real relationships with who are lost. And I pray for them by name that God will save them. But what often happens is the more you pray for someone, the more your burden grows for them. And eventually when you encounter them again, that's on your mind to share the gospel because you and I are distracted people. I might have an idea. I got to go talk to this person. But when you're actually talking to them, you forget but if you've been praying day in and day out for that person, the burden grows and oftentimes the Lord gives you opportunities. So pray for the people in your life who are lost. But also maybe you're in that conversation with the lost person. What do you do? Well, there's a couple things I do to try to bring this to the gospel. Number one, I, I talk about church. Most people are willing to talk about their religious backgrounds. They really are. Talk about church, your friends at church, the ministries you are a part of at church, um, talk about how involved you are. Maybe there's something from a sermon or a passage you heard at church that you can encourage them with. But bring up church. That's a good igniter for conversations. And guess what? Bringing people to church with you, that's a great gospel ministry. But also one of the ways to really get to the gospel in a conversation, okay, this is the big one here, is you ask questions. Be a good a uh, question asker. In a matter of 10 minutes, you can go from small talk to the gospel, from going from what do you do for a living to is that actually working out for you? It can go happen very quickly. I promise you, if you ask good questions, people reveal their hearts and their struggles and their worries, and boom, you bring the medicine and the balm of the gospel right to them. But overall, there comes a point in every conversation with the gospel that you just need to do it. You trust the authority of the king that you're going on his behalf, so he's got your back, right? At times, you just have to jump. I remember swim lessons as a kid, and you first kind of wade into the pool, right? And there's an instructor, there's a parent with you, or you're grabbing onto one of those things that looks like a giant Q-tip, and you're kicking your legs with, you know? And eventually, they put your head under the water, and they go through all these little steps with you, but eventually, you get to that point in swim lessons as a kid where it's time to jump in by yourself, it's scary, you don't feel prepared, but you climb up that ladder, maybe of that high dive, and you just go for it, and you jump in. 
There's a point when you trust Jesus that you just have to jump and spread the gospel. Trust in Jesus more than you fear the unknown of evangelism. You got to get to that point. So as a church, we're called to do this wherever we live and work and play, share the gospel. And I think um, in our church, there's a few ways that this happens. I, I do want to mention our recovery ministry that happens here three times a week. Oftentimes, we don't talk much about this ministry, but it's one of our hidden ministries, essentially, that one of our brothers, Jerry Solfest, leads. People from all kinds of addictions in all areas of life come and and are confessional, and they admit their addiction, and they want to change, you know, whether it be drugs or alcohol or even chocolate, whatever it is, they realize that the foundational problem is not that addiction, but it's sin. And what Jerry does, he gathers this group of people three times a week, and he speaks the gospel to them. That's what he does. And so if you want to be a better evangelist, you're looking for someone, go to a Jerry Solfest, pray for him. That recovery ministry is one of the big outreach ministries of our church. Also, though, when you leave this this sanctuary, I encourage you to go right and go look at the missionary wall out there. We have missionaries that we support and sponsor um, who have given up their life to verbally share the gospel with people. Families who've given up their comfortable life here to go around the world to take this personal evangelism to people, some to tribes in Brazil, some to some persecuted uh, groups over in the Middle East. Some are kind of underground. Some are very popular, whatever it is. But they are going with the gospel in uncomfortable ways to people who are unlike us. Because they care about this passage. And when you give money to our church, a large portion of the money you're giving goes to these missionaries to encourage them and support for them and provide them as they speak the gospel, you know, in Eau Claire, in France, in New Zealand, in Mexico, the Middle East, right? We're going to be a church who loves missions and missionaries because of this text. I know I got to keep moving on here, but we have a lot of opportunities throughout our days to verbally share the gospel. And I encourage you to take that step. We're going to have a Sunday school class in a little bit. I think maybe in a month or two about personal evangelism. If you want some help, we'll send out an email with some book titles that might help you spur on some more courage and ideas. But overall, do you trust in Jesus enough to take that leap? Uh, The third must do, and things are going to get quicker here, I promise. Not only do we share the gospel with our words, but we are called to live out the gospel with our life. We call this being an ambassador. You have many roles in your life. You are a parent, a neighbor, a little league coach, a volunteer. You shop at Walmart. You're a tax-paying citizen. You drive a car. A lot of things that you do and all that you do, including driving a car, including volunteering, including grocery shopping, you are called to live out the gospel as you do those things. No one should be in shock at your work that you're a Christian. How you behave in that work meeting or your behavior at that bar or restaurant on a Friday night or your attitude to a bad call at the football game that your kid's playing in should not diminish your gospel witness. How you work and live and play should be consistent with salvation. We call this being an ambassador of the gospel. Our speech, our actions, our responses should not contradict what Christianity is about. If you have a Bible, turn a little bit to the right to the book of Galatians very quickly. Galatians 2. 
It's an interesting story because Peter, one of the, you know, the, the big 12 disciples, um, several years after Matthew 28, he began to treat Jews and Gentiles differently. He was caught in sin. He began to favor Jews and treat the Gentiles with less love. He enjoyed dinners with Jews, but was embarrassed to eat with the Gentiles as if they were less than. Everyone was a Christian, yet Peter didn't treat them right. All they were doing was having a meal, and yet Peter was being harsh. Look at Galatians 2.14. This is what Paul says. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's essentially saying, you're a hypocrite. Your conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. You were not living out the salvation message that actually saved you. The salvation message was Christ died for everyone and everyone has access to God. But he's living like the Gentiles don't have that. So I want to ask you, that beginning of verse 14, is our conduct in step with the truth of the gospel? Christians should be the kindest people on the planet. We should be the most patient people in the checkout line on the planet. To have the most control, to be the quickest people to forgive. Because we have the spirit in us who loves all those things. The fruit of the spirit should be pouring out of us as we live, work, and play. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the list goes on. How we drive our car should match up with the gospel. How we act or how we don't act when our kid is called out on a third strike should matter with the gospel. How you drink or don't drink should match up. Your language or your lack of language should reflect the gospel. He has called us to follow him. So all that we do, yes, verbally share the gospel, but does our conduct and our attitude and our speech match up with the gospel message we are called to share? We are called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors is a rep- the representatives are we representing Christ and the Christian faith and this church accurately? So if you share the gospel with someone at work, they shouldn't have a mental record of your anger outbursts or your gossip at the water cooler and think, if that's what Christianity is, why do I need that? If they found out that this is your church home, would they be shocked and not want to come to this church? I hope not. So you can be an ambassador and live out the gospel by working hard at your job, being on time, being a good employer boss, paying your people well and fairly, living with kindness at work. You can drive like Christ is in the car with you. You can walk away from conversations at work you shouldn't be in. Or you can change the conversations and speak differently. You can coach your kids' baseball team differently because you're an ambassador of Christ. So making disciples involves speaking the gospel, but it also includes living out that gospel in real time, in a real place. We are public Christians in speech and in action. So think about that this week as well. In the church and outside the church, we are called to live like faithful representatives. I know that was a long point, but the king has commanded us, given us marching orders to live out the gospel. So know the gospel, recite it, Say it in words to people and live it out with your actions so that we could be consistent, wholehearted Christians. I'm going to finish with this last point, which is the briefest. 
Last point is our king's presence. In other words, God has authority. He commands you to do something, but he doesn't leave you alone to do it. He goes with you. Look at verse 19 again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I in authority go, live out the gospel. And this might seem scary or idealistic. We sometimes want to say to Jesus, but this is hard to do. Jesus, what if my friendships become awkward and we feel ill-equipped? What if they ask me a question? You know, how can you love a God who allows bad things to happen? How am I going to answer that? And we get all up in our own head and we hesitate. And all those worries and those hesitations are real. And yet they should not be so real that they discourage us from ever sharing the gospel. Jesus ends this passage in verse 20 by saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you at your job, at work, when you're nervously wondering how to bring up the gospel. Jesus is with you when you're praying for that lost grandson every morning to come to Jesus. Jesus is with you when your friend rejects the gospel in front of you and leaves you alone. The same king who has authority over heaven and earth, over the cosmos and constellations and earthquakes and every blade of grass, that's the same king who is with you in those moments that you are sharing the gospel. You may be rejected. You might lose friendships. Maybe you won't. You might see hundreds of people come to faith or you might see zero. But no matter what, Jesus is with you. The same king who sent you out is with you to the end of the age and you go with the king's blessing and authority and his presence and you are not alone. So you go and you share the gospel, you live it out and you know he is before you and he is after you, he's got your back, he's next to you and you are doing the obedient thing in the king's presence. You love God and you love people when you live out the gospel. You obey King Jesus, and you bring others into his love. If you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel here at our church, there's a lot. Again, uh, this is kind of a safety alert, but in about six minutes, there's going to be about 40 young children running in the fellowship hall. Watch out for the dodgeballs and stuff. But those are kids who are going to grow up in this church, and they're going to be seeing you. Are we living out the gospel? Are we speaking out the gospel? We have ministries like kids' ministries. We have Sunday school classes. We have Ruby's Pantry. We have all these opportunities for outreach if you want to get involved in those. But I encourage you this week, pray that God will bring people to mind for you to share the gospel with and live it out consistently. Uh, thank you if you've been here any of these weeks in the last four weeks as we look at what it means to love God and love people at CVBC. We'll jump into 1 Corinthians next week, but I want to finish with a prayer asking God to bless these four weeks and that we be a church that lives out the gospel. Let's pray. God, you deserve all glory. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us through the gospel, through the death and the resurrection. And I pray that we as a church will love you so much that we will be saying yes to every person you call us to go to with the gospel. And as we go to people, that we will love them well as we share the gospel to them and that there will be people in our lives, in our family, in our workplaces, on the baseball fields who come to know your son Jesus because of this gospel that we believe. Give us encouragement, give us courage, give us boldness, give us wisdom. Lord, save those in our lives who don't know you. 
not for our sake, not for the sake of the growth of our church here. And number no, for the sake of you, save them. Give us the courage. I pray that this church at CBC will be a place that so obediently loves you and loves people in all of these ways. Jesus, take these last four weeks of the sermon and implant them in our church's heart and culture. We want to be faithful to you, Lord. Find us faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.